Carrie, would you pray for the missionaries that we support? Pray for TFF and then our time together in the Word. Father, I thank you for those that are on this list that you have called into your service. Yes, Lord. I thank you for each and every family that's represented, Father. I thank you for um, God, for Brian and Jennifer, Lord. Father, as we are collecting for them this month, Father, I thank you, God, for the work that you've done in their family. I thank you for their new little one, Lord. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that you would continue to bless them and strengthen them, Lord. I pray, God, that you would just continue to expand their borders, God, and that soon, Father, that they um, would be able to continue taking trips, Lord. And Father, I lift up Joe and Kijo to you, God, and their family, and Michael and Megan and Jimmy and his family, and Peter and Molly and Mark and Kelly, God. Father, I just pray that you would open the windows of heaven over them, Father, that you would bless them indeed, bless them financially, God. Father, keep them safe in the name of Jesus, Father. Thank you for this fellowship, Lord. I pray that that each and every one of us, Father, would make a choice every day to live for you, God. I thank you that you have called us into community with one another, Father. I thank you, Father, for all those who have come through these doors, Father, over the years, God. And I just pray that they would remember, Father, who they are in you, God, and they, they would serve you, Father, wherever they're at, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would um, keep us, Father, keep us in your will, Lord. Father, that you would um, add to our numbers those that are being saved, Father. I pray that as this world continues to grow darker, Father, that we as your people, God, our roots would grow down deep, that we would never waver, Father. I pray, I lift up Rob to you, Father, as he leads, God, and he shares with us, Father. I pray that you would um, give him the strength that he needs, Father, to complete that, Lord. And I thank you, Father, that he does not water down the message that you have given him, given him, Father, and he never waters down the gospel, Father. And I pray that that would be, Father, until you call him home, Lord. And Father, I do thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together today to hear your word, to honor you, to worship you in spirit and truth, God. Pray that we would never take it for granted, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
Freedom. 
Father, thank you for yet another day to come together, Lord, to, Father, sit at your feet, Lord Jesus, and be led by your Holy Spirit to open up the living word. Father, I pray that we would not take it for granted, Lord, but that we would truly have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Father, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you've begun this work in us, Father, and that you are faithful to complete it. And I pray, Lord God, that we would, Father, truly seek you. Father, your word says that if we seek you, we will find you if we seek you with our whole heart. And so I pray that today we are hungry. Father, for truth. Father, that we choose this day to live, Lord, and not die. Father, your word says that life and death are set before us, and we ought to choose life. Father, we know that sin crouches at our door, and its desire is to master us, but Father, you say in your word that we should master it, and Father, we know that the only way to master it is to abide in Christ. So, Father, we pray that you would have your way in us and through us and among us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Community, two definitions I've put out for us. That's the word for this year, community. The first definition is a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. The second one, a feeling of fellowship with others as a result of sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals, living in community. We know that Jesus declares in his word that he will build his church. We know that in the book of Acts, as Jesus ascended into heaven, in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers And they went forth declaring the good news. But in doing so, they understood the importance of abiding in Christ and remaining in community. So let me say that again. They knew and they understood the importance of abiding in Christ and remaining in community with believers. And as they set out to accomplish what God has purposed the church for, they faced all types of trials, of persecution. They faced moments where the Lord was moving mightily among them and in them and through them. And then they faced times when they were running for their lives. And so as it was then, so it is today. But one thing they did not neglect, or two things they did not neglect, is abiding in Christ and remaining in community. And we understand the importance of that as believers. And understanding the importance of that, we know that that's what the enemy is targeting. To draw people from Christ, to keep them from abiding in Christ, and secondly, to draw them out of community. Because once one can step out of either, 
abiding in Christ or in Christian community. They're left on their own. And nothing good can come from being on our own. Jesus himself says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And as I said last week, church doesn't save you, but church equips you. And if you're not among the saints, if you're not among the church, if you're not among the brethren, you're opening yourself up for error. And we understand as we read the Bible, we understand as the Lord has spoken, that in the last days, as the days continue to approach to His return, the spirit of deception is getting stronger and stronger. So many people are deceived. We understand the word says that in the last days, people are not going to want to hear sound doctrine. What they're going to want is for their ears to be tickled, to be itched. (laughs) Teach me, say to me, perform for me, make it all about me. (laughs) That's what mankind will be looking for. And as I keep encouraging us, as we understand that the word encourages us, that the stage is being set for the Antichrist, the very one who would come and declare that he is God and demand people to worship him. He will perform mighty miracles. And so to deceive many. And I keep encouraging us that the way we've done church and how church has evolved over the years, it can't continue. It can't continue. No, we have to return back to the Lord. We have to seek Him. We have to abide in Him. And in so, He, comes, he brings forth a community of believers throughout the earth. The church, he is the head, we're the body. And I've encouraged us, you have to be a healthy member of the body in order to function as God calls us together to live this out, to live his purpose. It's no longer our purpose, it's his purpose. And that's how you should be getting up daily, seeking to do the will of the Father, the one who called you out of darkness and to his marvelous light. I've been meditating upon this week on the cross. I've been been thinking of all that Jesus endured. And I don't think he endured all that he endured just for us to have a religious establishment or or a quote-unquote church where people can just decide, oh, I'll come today if it's convenient for me. He didn't endure all that he did to make it all about you and your comfort. No, it's all about Christ. Truly seeking Christ. And there's a standard in which the Holy Spirit has set for the church. And it's not up to us to water it down. It's not up to us to to make it for what conform him to be what we want him to be. No, it's about him transforming us into a people that belong to him. Remember, God's plan, God's purpose from the beginning till the end and for all eternity, that he will have a people that he will call his own, and in return they will call him their God, community. 
from the beginning to the end for all eternity. Living for Jesus. Loving Jesus. And loving the bride. As I shared with you last week, oh, how I pray that as we go forth this year, that you would truly come to a, to a, to a loving the, the body of Christ. Truly coming, coming to an understanding how, how it's so important that you value the time that, that we are together encouraging, edifying, building each other up. Because we need each other. We need each other in order to accomplish what God has called us to do. The church at large, if you would, throughout the earth, but also all the different churches throughout the earth as they gather together individually, accomplishing what God has called them to do within their community, within their state, within their nation, and throughout the earth as the Lord leads and guides them and directs them and empowers them to accomplish his purpose. So living in community, it's just not about you getting what you can out of it. No, it's about actually losing yourself and be a part of something greater than you because it's all him. He's purposed it. I told you before, a lot of people want the benefits of a community, but they don't want to be in community. And how sad is that? How sad is that? Each of us are needed. And so, oh, how I pray that as we go through this year, we truly sense the urgency, the urgency of the church coming together and living in community. It's so vital. That is our witness. The Bible itself says, how would they know that we belong to him? By our love for one another. But if we're not gathering, if we're forsaking the gathering of the brethren, then how is that truly loving? Yes, there are times where you can't make it for whatever reason, but that should not be the norm. Being online should not be the norm. We are to do this together face-to-face, living it out. This is community. Going through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Living in community. Learning what it means to, to function as many different parts but one body. Because again, we understand, as the Bible tells us, that the Holy Spirit distributes gifts throughout the church, and each of us are gifted differently And it's so vital and it's so important that you are utilizing the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given you so we, so we as a fellowship, as a local church can function. It takes all of us, not just one of us, not just two of us, not just a little handful of us, but all of us. And we understand that in community, not everybody within the community is a Christian. We understand that, and we've got to guard that. We, we've got to honor that as we're honoring Christ. We want unsaved people to come. But we just don't want to stamp them, oh, you're a Christian now, poof, you're a Christian now, poof, you're a Christian now, when good and well, we know that they're not, because there's no fruit coming from their life. No, they're more than welcome to come and experience community, hear the word of God, be loved on, not shunned, not shamed. 
but to hear the good news that there's hope in Christ and that then they can witness what it's like for believers to do life together. But they ought not to come in and get comfortable and just claim to be a Christian because they look around at other people who are claiming to be Christians living worse off than they are. So back to the standards in the church. There's a standard in which we are called to, not because man has said it, but because that's what God has planned, purposed for it. So as Christians, if you're calling yourself a Christian, but yet you're not living like a Christian, no, we ought to go toe-in-toe with you. As we read last week, we're not to judge the outside, but we're to judge the inside. So if you're a Christian, before you're quick to say, oh, don't judge me, oh, no, (laughs) we are to judge you. Because we value ultimately Christ, and since we're in Christ, we value community. And you cannot just continue to trample upon his blood, making it common and as of no power and of no value. You can't do that. So within community, we know there's going to be saved and unsaved people. But we're going to call out those who, who, who claiming to be Christ and yet not living as Christ. No, we also know we're not looking for perfect people. We know that this is a progression, this is a maturing, this is a sanctification, which is an ongoing process. We're not perfect until we are with him, but until then, we ought to be maturing, and we ought to be growing, and we ought to be humbled enough to receive correction. That goes for myself and everyone else. We just don't excuse sin. We understand how destructive it is. And that's why a lot of people stay out of community. Because they're comfortable in their sin. They're comfortable in their in whatever's keeping them captive. And that's sad, because that ought not to be. Not in the day and age in which we're living. We are needed in this hour and this moment. I keep encouraging you. You were purposed for this generation. You were purposed for this dark times and the dark times that are coming, you were purposed to live abiding in Christ and in community. So let's look at some scriptures and hopes to encourage us in living in community. 1 Corinthians chapter <coughs> 1, verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 10. He reads here, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose, community. Let there be no division, but rather let us be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. When you hear this scripture, what is it saying to you? How are you living this out? You can't be living it out if you're not here. 
You're to be doing it together. Being, listen to that, united with being in one mind, united in thought and purpose. Go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And we're going to read through um, chapter 2, verse 17. But chapter 1, verse 7 is where we're starting. And we'll go through chapter 2, verse 17. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7. He writes to the church, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have, listen to this, fellowship, with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. But if we confess our sins to him, listen to this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, We are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before our father or the father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. And we can be sure that we know him. If we obey his commandments, we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. If someone claims, again, he's writing to the community, he's writing to the church. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandment, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's words truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. How do you know if you're living in Christ, if you are abiding in Christ? Well, those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Again, that's not man's standards, that's God's standard. As you're growing, as you're maturing in Christ, you're becoming more and more like Jesus. You're not becoming Jesus, as some cults preach, but you're becoming more and more like him. His characteristics, God in you, the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you to live out this new life. You were once in darkness, but now you are in light. You are to be growing. You are to be maturing. He goes on here. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment for you. Rather, it is an old one you have had from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another. 
is the same message you've heard before. Yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you also are living it. For the darkness is disappearing, and the true light is already shining. If anyone claims, I'm living in the light, but hates a fellow believer, that person is still living in darkness. Anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light, and does not cause others, listen to this, to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go, having been blinded by darkness. I am writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I am writing to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith, and I love this, listen to this, because you have won your battle with the evil one. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. Well, I love it again. Here we are. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. So do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And listen to this. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. Listen, this is community. This is how we're to be living with and among each other. That's why we can't just keep doing the way we're doing. So many churches today, so many communities of faith today are not even holding up the standards of Christ. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Poof, you're a Christian. Everyone's a Christian. Everyone's getting into heaven. <laughs> and that's not the word of God. If you, and I've always encouraged you, if you've been around long enough, from Acts on to Jude, <laughs> basically you're seeing, especially the letters to the churches, basically what you're hearing over and over is grow up. Know your identity. The churches are being written to as the Holy Spirit's inspiring the writers to remind the church of who she is. She can't just strip it down. You're not to look like the world. I'm not to look like the world. We don't belong to this world. So there is a separation that should be taking place in you. Again, not because man is demanding it. It's because the Holy Spirit's working in you. I can't save you. And I can't change you. And I can't force you to grow. 
Only the Holy Spirit can do that. Only through Christ can you be saved by coming to an understanding because your eyes have been opened because God has opened them. It's all the work of God in your life. And so just coming to church and sitting among and being in community, and, and it, it, you're not adding any value to it. You're just not doing anything. You're just, you're just here and there. Come when you want. That's just all religious work because you're not valuing Christ. I mean, that's the truth. We're to be accomplishing the will of our Father together. Again, not just for one person to do it or a few people to do it, but everyone should be involved. And the church is being reminded there's a way in which you are to live. We're not going to water it down so people can feel comfortable. No, we want them to come in, but the gospel, the gospel offends. And it ought to offend you each day. As it offends me because I realize, oh, no, that's not part of me that ought not to be living. No, God, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the conviction that that's not how I should be acting. Oh, God, thank you for the conviction and leading me into repentance because of your loving kindness. You draw me to yourself. I don't have to shrink back from you. I don't have to hide from you. No, I can boldly come into your presence. And where are the lost people seeing people living that way? They ought to see it in community. <laughs> and that way they're not, then they, that way they can't demand us to change to make them feel comfortable. As it's going on in churches, from the pulpit, from the platform, pastors are preaching a false gospel. <laughs> People are just being entertained. <laughs> and they're going right back out into the world. As the world. But you ought not to be living that way. If you're a sinner, if that's you're lost, then that's how you're going to live. But if you're in Christ, oh no. Day by day, you're dying to yourself. You're giving up and you're turning to Christ. How now then shall I live? I know how I would live. I've always told you that. You know how you would live because that's how you lived before Christ. But in Christ, it, the two don't go together. I recognize that. And that's why I love when you, when you read 1 John, he tells those young in the faith, you've had victory over the enemy. You're strong. You know, I remember as a young Christian, I knew good and well, wait a minute, when I, when I started picking up the religious ways and just going about this and that and, and just losing sight of who Christ was just to fit in to the quote-unquote church community, it didn't feel right because Christ wasn't being honored. Christ wasn't being honored. I would cry out to God, like there's something wrong with me. Like, why did you have me give everything up? Why did why why, why did I have to die to this and die to that? But all of this is going on, and everything's okay to go on. But that's not who you are. That's not how I see it in your word. As you led me into your word, 
And I praise God that he's kept me because that's the whole thing. I can't keep it. You can't keep it. But God can keep us. He is faithful. But don't lose sight of him. And again, don't expect the community, the church, just to strip themselves down, water down, not live a vibrant life in Christ because it makes you feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel uncomfortable. But keep coming. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Keep knocking. But the moment that you demand that it be done your way or preach the way you want to hear it or worship the way you want to worship or to do this or to do that just so you can feel comfortable. Oh no, you're in error and that's not happening. And pastors need to start getting a backbone. The church elders need to start having a backbone. People need to start, Christians just need to start having a backbone and standing up for truth. I mean, John wrote this letter to the church to remind them. And he says, if you're calling yourself a Christian and you're not living like one, you're a liar. (laughs) You're not part of it. You're not part of Christ. You're not part of community. You're a liar. You're in darkness. He had a backbone. Not because he was a mean religious man, No, because he genuinely valued Christ and the community of the saints. He knew what the will of the Father was for the church. To live holy, set apart. To live for Christ. We are, again, you you are purposed. We are purposed for this generation to accomplish the will of God. And we need each other to do it. We need each other to. To do it. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 through 22. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. And he's not talking about those who are lazy in the world. He's talking about those who are lazy in the church. <laughs> Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies. But test everything that is said. 
hold on to what is good, listen to that, and stay away from every kind of evil. Here again, the church is being encouraged to maintain the standard in which God has set. Again, to remain pure. (laughs) Test what is being said. Just don't go along with everything. Test. Hold on to that which is good. Toss out that which is evil. Love one another. (laughs) Don't stop praying. Always be thankful. Always be joyful. This is the will of the Father. But do you think about this as you're going about your day when you get up? Are you so consumed by the weight of your circumstances and the condition of the world around you? That ought not to be as a believer. And if you're there, don't beat yourself up. Just connect with community. Get along, get around people who can encourage you and edify and and, and build you up. People that can be patient with you. Walk it out with you. But don't expect people to be shackled with you. It's a progression forward, not taking up camp and complaining and fault finding and gossiping and backbiting and being so negative. Nothing good comes from that. So just because the Bible is saying to be patient, oh yeah, we'll be patient. No one's going to force you. But oh, better believe you're going to be encouraged. Let's walk it out together. And I told you last week, if there's anything that you could truly just be God so grateful for and so thankful for, that you're part of a fellowship, that it doesn't matter where you're at, what you're doing, what's going on in your life, you can come boldly to any of us and share and find encouragement to be edified and to be built up to move forward. You're not going to be shunned. You're not going to be shamed. You're not going to be condemned. But you will find hope. You can't find that a lot of places today. There's nothing that you can find yourself wrapped up with That no one here will not walk with you through it if you have a sincere heart towards Christ. You have a place where you can belong and you can grow as a believer. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1 through 7, I'm sorry, 17. Again, it's written to the community, to the church. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Listen to this. Think about things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your new life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all of his glory. So put to death. This is action. 
You heard truth. You responded to truth. Here's what you should be doing and what we all should be doing. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual morality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world. Oh, can the church and the community hear that today? You used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. But now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. See, there's nothing good in the old man. There's nothing good in the old woman. <laughs> and so then what? Then how shall we live? Put on your new nature. And be renewed as you what? Learn to know your creator and become like him in this new life. It doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters and he lives in all of us. So since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender mercies, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. This is daily. It's not just a one-time little prayer. It's every single day. This is how you should be living. This is how the community should be encouraging you and edifying you and building you up. If they see the old man, they see the old woman, they ought to remind you. I'm just not to go, I'm just not going to go along with it, just to go along with it. No. That is old. <laughs> Let's look at the new. How then shall we live? It says, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together, look at this, in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ, rule in your hearts. For as members, listen to this, of one body, you are called to live in peace. And oh, how we ought to protect our peace. <laughs> and always be thankful. Let the message about Christ, again, this is the only message we have as the church, as a community, that the message about Christ and all of its richness fill your lives Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks through him to God the Father. That's everything. This is how we are to encourage. This is how we're to edify and to build each other up. This is the way if we're calling ourselves Christians that we are called to live. And it's vital, it's vital that we understand this, that we're grasping it, that we're valuing it for the, for the generation in which we're living. People need to see the gospel lived out. Community, 
fellowship of believers. We are a peculiar people. We are odd to the people of the world. So the Bible calls us. In fact, I keep encouraging you as the Bible has encouraged us. As the times are drawing closer and closer to his return, we're going to be pushed out further and further and further of the world system. So don't be shocked when it happens. Don't start stripping things down or watering down the gospel to try to fit in. You're not going to fit in. You're not going to. You're going to have to stand for truth sooner or later. And you better ought to do it now. So when the times come, you're not taken by surprise. Jesus is returning. This is our hope. This is our blessed hope. So we should get up every single day and be encouraging ourselves and others that are part of the community. Jesus is returning. So stop living for yourself. Get up. There's work to be done. Get up. Get up. And live. Be free. Value freedom. Value peace. Be joyful. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know this and you don't know that. And I've always told you, and and I'm not being insensitive. We all have a sad story. But for God's sakes, how many times do we have to hear it? How many times do you have to keep playing it over and over and over and over? Because that's what's defining you is your sadness. But for God's sakes, we live in a fallen world. People are going to die. People are going to get sick. People are going to leave. People are going to rebel. Sin is running amok. (laughs) Turmoil is going to happen. Destruction is going to happen. We understand this as believers. And so we don't process it like those who don't have hope. Yes, you're going to feel sad. Yes, there's times you may be depressed. Yes, there may be times where things just seem unbearable. That's why Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit and gave you community. (laughs) So you ought not to pull away from people. And I preach it to myself because there was a season, as I've shared with you, where I just went down. (laughs) But praise be to God, there were some brothers in my life, some sisters in my life that prayed for me, that held me accountable, that came into my house, (laughs) prayed Prayer walked around my house until I finally just opened up the door to let them in. (laughs) They don't give up. They didn't give in. They didn't just go along with me just to, uh, okay, poor Rob. No, no, no. They held up truth. They prayed for me. They fasted for me. (laughs) And God moved in a miraculous way. So that's what I'm trying to encourage us in this year. Is that we to be in community. And whatever you're going through, we will go through it together. But that's, again, the key. Go through it together. Not just remaining stuck together and heavy burden and laden with each other. The world then looks at us and goes, well, what do you have that I don't have? We ought to look different. And not a weird, fake difference but a genuine, genuine, a real difference. Not just putting on a show for people 
and people are impressed with you. But then when you get alone, when you're by yourself, you're not living it out. You're watching trash, you're doing this, you're doing that. There's nothing godly about your existence when you're by yourself. (laughs) And how crazy is that? That then you would step into community and pretend like you've arrived somewhere. In reality, you haven't. So this message is for all of us. We must check our hearts. We must be have a sincere devotion towards Christ. That we're living this together. We're growing together. We are maturing together. And we're honoring each other at the levels that we're at. That's important. Just as I may honor a mature believer, I'm going to honor a weak believer. But the same message is for both. The way you care for one is the way you care for another. It's all about pointing people to Jesus. Keeping your eyes on Jesus. Loving on people. Being patient with people. Encouraging, edifying, and building people up. And if you're not doing that daily, then God, what are you doing? But I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And all you're caring about is you? I would have you take a look of really what a Christian is. And truly loving each other in community. Not just by face, but by genuine heart attitude towards each other. Check your heart that you, what attitudes or what you're doing inside yourself when it comes to other people that you come in contact with. Oh, it's vital, again, that we're living in community. Galatians chapter 6. Scriptures again to encourage you in community. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 and 3. Share each other's burdens. And in this way, obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You are not that important. Go to James chapter 5. James 5. Verse 16. James 5 verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of the righteous person has great power and produces Wonderful results. Oh, again, how we should be first confessing our sins to God and then to each other. Praying for each other. It's so vital that we are transparent. I've always told you, and as I, when I counsel anyone, I say true freedom comes from true transparency. First before God, then before man. What you got to hide? What are, you, what are you hiding? Why are you hiding? Are you worried about what people are going to say and think? Well, then again, you're focused on man. And you ought not to be focusing on man. You need to be focusing on God. So we are to, to live in fellowship, live in community, being honest, being transparent, first before God, then before man, confessing our sins and praying for each other. 
Oh, how it's important to pray together and for each other. So vital. Let's go to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So important. I tell people again when I'm counseling them or when I'm with people, don't think I'm doing this just for you. We're doing this together because just as you're going through what you're going through and I'm encouraging you, edifying you, it's iron sharpening iron. I'm getting just as much of what I need as you're getting what you need in order for both of us to continue to persevere. You know, you don't set yourself up above someone else. No, we're, we're together in this. And we're growing together. And so important. Go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. <clears throat> For where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. That's so important. God reminds me of this as we gather. Usually it's just two or three people. But God has said, but I'm there. So don't be worried about numbers. My presence is among you. But oh, how I'm praying that God will add to our numbers those that are being saved, that we get up and we get out into our community, out there, living our lives that we live among each other. And then when we are out together in the community, that they see something different in us. And that it stirs something up within them to ask Why are we so joyful? Why are we so pleasant and loving that they see something? Because listen, you all, the basic need of humanity is to belong. Did we hear that? That is the basic need of humanity. The need, the desire, the longing in the depths of our being to belong. And apart from Christ, we're searching everywhere for it. But it can only be found true, true belonging can only be found in Christ. And that's why God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. A sense of belonging for eternity. The world can't offer you that. No other religion can offer you that. You can only find that in Christ. And so that when people look in at the church, when they look in at a community of believers, they see something different. They're either going to be repelled by it because they want to remain in darkness, or they're going to be drawn to it. We're going to be a sweet fragrance to them. And they're going to be drawn not to quote-unquote our community, but to Christ. It's not about just getting people among us just to have people around. No, but it's to see them 
in Christ. That's the beauty of it. And that's how we should be living. And we can praise God that he's among us, he is with us as we gather. Because it's all for him. It's all for him. I'm going to share a few things. I'm going to be working with you all through our times together to try to really encourage you in understanding what it means to have the same attitude, interest in Christ that we believe what we believe and we know who we are. It's vital. So, I've been studying since last year, and I hope I don't pronounce it wrong. Carrie, you can correct me if I do. The Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism. Carrie's going to have these notes in our notes, and God, I pray you go back through them. Lord, I just hope you just go and you sit. You're coming on Wednesday nights, or rather it's here, or, or Zoom. But that you're getting disciple, that you're growing I found such value and is so rich, this Heidelberg Catechism. And I want to give you just a little understanding. So it was first published, listen to this, back in 1563. The Heidelberg Catechism, and the word catechism is just another term for teaching. In case you didn't know that has been used by Christians around the world ever since 1563. The Catechism summarizes, listen to this, the major teachings of Holy Scripture in 129 memorable questions and answers, simple yet profound, as well as concise yet sufficient, The Catechism has been appreciated by young and old alike as one of the most clear, helpful, and comforting guides into all spiritual treasures of the Holy Gospel. The Gospel is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. Romans 1.16 The Heidelberg Catechism helps you helps us as a community discover just how powerful the gospel really is and how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Ephesians 3, 18. After the first introductory, Lord's Day, and this is how it's breaking down, they have 52 Lord's Days in this catechism. And some people like to do each one each week to get it done in a year. But as I've been studying how pastors have done it or taught it, just because different things come up, you can't get it done. So we're not going to rush through it. We're actually just going to take our time through it. And I really pray that it enriches your life and it it enriches our community because we're going to have the same common interest, the same understanding of the gospel. So after the first introductory Lord's Day on the main theme of comfort, the Heidelberg Catechism is divided in three main parts. Our sin and misery, the Lord's Day, day two through four. Our deliverance from sin, the Lord's Day, 
5 through 31. And then finally, our thankfulness to God for such deliverance, the Lord's Day 32 to 52. So today we're opening up with the Lord's Day, number one, the first day, and the theme and the understanding is comfort. Comfort. So the question is, is what is your only comfort in life and in death? Think upon that. What is your only comfort in life and death? And when you get the notes sent out to you, you're going to see within the answer, scriptures. Wednesday night, we'll go deeper with these scriptures. I'm not going to go to all these scriptures today. There's so many. But oh, how I pray, again, you take just the first one. If you want to jump ahead in the catechism, that's fine. I would encourage you maybe hold off so that we're doing this together. But I would sit and I would open up your Bible and I will look at each of the scriptures captured in the answers so that you know how then to tell and share others the comfort that you have in Christ. This question, you can sit down and have conversations with unsaved people, even with saved people. Again, the question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Ask someone that. Hear their answers. And then share with them the truth that you know. Here's the answer. As far as, our, as, far as believers, that I am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of the Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation because I belong to him. Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life, makes me wholeheartedly, willingly, willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is the answer. Oh, how I would encourage you to sit down, ask yourself that question and begin to understand the answer. And not because it's an answer because it's written in a catechism, because you believe it. No, that's, that's my belief. This is who I am. This is the comfort that I have in life and in death. It is shaping me. It is molding me. I am identifying with it. This is who I am now because of Christ. Oh, how I pray. You'll take the time to study scriptures as you'll see it. There's a lot of them. That backs up the answer. It's just not an answer that man gave. This is the answer that scripture gives. The second question on the Lord's day one for comfort. What must you know to live, and I love this, die in the joy of this comfort? So you understand the comfort. So what then must you do or know to live and die I love this, in the joy of this comfort. Well, here's the answer, three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all of my sins and misery. And finally, the third, how I am to thank God 
for such deliverance. And scriptures again are all placed in those answers so that you have a sure foundation, that you have an identity that's defining you. Because if you're not being defined by Christ, all you know is what's behind you. And you get tried to mix the two, but that's a tormented life. But when you're grounded, when your roots are going down deep, and you are secured in Christ, oh, you're comforted. And you have joy in life and in death. True Freedom Fellowship. This is our church. This is our community. This is our name. True Freedom Fellowship. What is our vision? If we're coming together and this is our community, then we, then we should be in agreement with first who Christ is, who we are in Christ, and then who we are as a fellowship. What is our vision? Well, we're called to encourage, edify, and equip the body of Christ in order to radically save souls to advance his kingdom. The vision called to encourage, to edify, to equip the body of Christ in order to radically save souls to advance his kingdom. And that's just not my part. That's yours. Over the years, only a few are doing it. But all all of you should be doing it. You have a vision not because Rob says. Because this is who we are. This is the community that we belong to. Each of us should be in agreement. See, that's community. Same interests, common interest. <laughs> the same vision. Called to encourage, to edify, and to equip the body of Christ in order to radically save souls ultimately to advance his kingdom. So then who are we? John 8, 36 is kind of like our verse as a, as a fellowship. He who the Son has set free is free indeed. We have the message of the gospel, the message of freedom that can only be found in Christ. How are you doing at sharing that? Oh, you ought to be growing in it. Don't beat yourself up if you're not. Just get up. <laughs> Get connected and get moving forward. True Freedom Fellowship, a group of people who have chosen to die to themselves, pick up their cross and follow Christ daily. We are a full functioning church within the body of Christ. We don't meet in a traditional building, but in a home. A living room is our sanctuary and couches are our pews. The dining room is our fellowship hall. But our hearts are the same as millions of believers all over the world. A desire to serve at the pleasure of our King. The King of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. This is who we are. Our mission field? Family, neighbors, co-workers, our communities, to the ends of the earth. A group of people, listen to this, who have overcome the bondage of our past. Through the redemptive, freeing, and healing power of Jesus Christ. We've been forgiven of much. 
and have the desire to see genuine freedom come to the captives that are still shackled in shame and sin and shame. We're doing life together 24-7, a commitment, a lifestyle, a commitment to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and a commitment to each other to encourage, to edify, and to build, each, to build up the body of believers. So come, live this new life out loud for the world to hear. This is who we are. Are you a part of this? Are you engaging in this? Are you ready for this, for what's ahead of us for this new year? And if you feel you're not, but yet you still want to belong, then just connect. Just get involved. First, in Christ. And then in fellowship. And so then what are our core values? We haven't looked at them or talked about them in a while. Our core values. These should be put in front of us every single day and throughout our day. The first one, love. Then unity. Then transparency and accountability and growth. As I've said years ago or whenever I've talked about our core values, it starts with love. We want to love people right where they're at. We want to love them. The good, the bad, the ugly. And then from there, that opens up unity. A coming together. There's a, there's a trust there in unity. Which then opens up transparency. Because when one has a sense of being loved and belonging, one will become transparent. And then from transparency, accountability. And from accountability, you can't help but grow. So these are our core values. This is who we are. This is how we're living in community. I want to wrap up our time. Oh, how I pray, as again, as we're going through this year, (laughs) that you're getting a sense of, of really what it means to be in community and to value it and to treasure it and to honor Christ in it. Last week we talked about scriptures for biblical sexual morality. I didn't get to finish, but I'm going to conclude our time today going over the final scriptures. Then next week we will conclude our time from here on back in the Bible, walking through the old, the new, Psalm and Proverbs. But it's so important that we understand the times in which we are living 5,000 pastors stood within their pulpits or wherever they were preaching last Sunday in agreement with our brothers up in Canada. 5,000 pastors from Canada and and, and the United States preaching on biblical sexual morality and the importance that we hold up this standard. Now, again, people have a right to live however they want. We don't hate them, but they cannot... And they will not silence the church. We will uphold God's truth. Pastor John MacArthur, because in his message, as in my message, and the other message, 5,000 pastors calling the understanding of the Word of God that God created male and female, YouTube has considered him preaching hate. It's hate speech. And again, this is what I'm telling you. We are being pushed out of the world system because of the good news we have to offer. Listen, if they don't want to hear it, if they don't, they can live however they want, but they cannot silence us. 
We will go to prison. We will die for the gospel. We will live out truth, but we will not cowardly back up and back down and appease those that want to live however they want to live. No, we are called to preach the good news, to share what God has designed, not what man has designed, what God has designed. And then we will respect however one wants to respond to it. Again, they're not our enemies. But we understand the tactics of our enemy. This is a warfare. I've encouraged you all through last year. We're behind enemy lines. Do not expect to get comfortable here and be accepted here. The world system, the enemy, the flesh is in complete rebellion to God. It hates him. And you want to get comfortable among that? Oh no. Child of God, you better get up. And you better live differently. And you need to honor God. Not because you're forced to. Not because God's forcing you. No, because you completely understand what it is to be free. And you have a desire to tell others of the good news of the only God that can save you and deliver you. That can set you free and keep you free. For all eternity. I mean, this is good news. So why is the church cowering down? Well, it shouldn't take us by surprise because we see it in Scripture. And the church is reminded, again, who she is. That there will be false teachers. That at the end times, it's going to be a hot mess. And so we better awaken again to our purpose in our generation. I don't know when Jesus is returning, but the signs of the times are pointing that he that's near. It may not be in our lifetime. It may be in our lifetime. But either way, we are purposed for now, and we're seeing the signs that it's getting darker. And church, as it's been done, cannot continue to go the way it's going. No, we got to rise up, understand our identity in Christ, and live it out. So these are the final scriptures, and oh, how I pray that you have these scriptures from last week and this week tucked away in your Bible, on your notes, somewhere where you can sit down if you have an opportunity to share with someone God's plan, God's design for sexuality and marriage. And it's just not about LGBTQ. It's about people who are shacking up. Who I read an article this week that this guy, I don't even remember the percentage, but the majority of quote-unquote, quote-unquote, Christians say, oh, it's okay to have sex outside of marriage. What kind of nonsense is that? What kind of nonsense is that? And yet it's happening. It's happening. And for what reason? Because of the flesh, the desires that are from within, not to honor God. I want it, I need it, I crave it, I do it. And yet God tells us, no, no, in me, remain pure. Remain pure. Don't defile yourself. Wait. And people mock that and people laugh at it. So-called Christians. And they give themselves over. 
And that's not honoring to God. So unless we just think we're, we're focusing just on LGBT, no, no, sexuality, God created it for man and woman and the covenant of marriage. And sex is good, it's not dirty. <laughs> but it should be done as God has designed it. I mean, this is the, the reality, this is the truth that's found in God's Word. And so, the Bible equips you. I've shared the scriptures you need to be able to, to pray through and to meditate upon and, and to be equipped to share. Because again, you ought to be defending faith. You ought to be able to know where to go and how to, to speak, not in and of yourself, always, always as the Holy Spirit leads. If the Holy Spirit isn't leading... <laughs> Then don't you try to be Holy Spirit Junior. No, be prayerful, but be ready in season and out of season to uphold truth. So we're going to go to where we left off, the last scripture, because it's such a good scripture. 1 Peter 2.11. Peter chapter 2, verse... 11. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And we're going to read through chapter 2. Verse 16, so starting at Romans 1, verse 18. <clears throat> but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. I posted something last or this week, and it's something I've always thought about as I've seen it years ago. But when we talk about the wrath of God, so many times we think of the wrath of God as the coming wrath, which there is a coming wrath that's coming that's going to swallow up those who are in rebellion towards God and for eternity, they will be in hell. But there's also an, under, an understanding of God's wrath that's here and now because he turns you over to sin. That's experiencing God's wrath. He turns you over to what you are demanding, to the sin that so easily entices you and entangles you because you choose to hold up your fist against a holy God and tell him he's not God, I am, and this is what I want. And in his wrath, he turns you over to it. It's God's wrath, you all. So we go on here, and with that understanding, yes, verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they begin to think of foolish ideals of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. 
And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. Would you just circle that? Would you just underline that? Would you just hear that? God abandoned them. He turned them over (laughs) to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. It's the first sign. God abandoning, God turning someone over. It's the enticement and the sexual desires that flare up. I've always told you when you see deception on the rise, when you begin to see just the most vilest things right behind it coming up. And we ought not to be shocked. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshipped and served the things God created instead of the Creator Himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God, again, abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the woman turned against the natural way, the natural way, the way God designed it, to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, Burned with lust for each other, with, with, with each other, with another man. They did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. So, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, here we hear it again, He abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. (coughs) Paul is writing to the church in Rome. And I've always encouraged you, don't stop there, go into chapter 2. Because just as Paul is laying out the understanding of God's anger at sin... He then begins to give us the church and us an understanding of the judgment of sin. But he also doesn't just point his finger outward. He's pointing it inward to the community, to the church. He says to the church, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment 
when you do the very same things. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended, listen to this, to turn you from your sin? He's writing to the church. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up. Again, he's writing to the church. You are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, first for the Jew and also for the Gentile. But there will, all, there will be glory and honor and peace from God. Listen to the good news here. For all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile, God, for God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by the law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know His law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing right. And this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. God has designed a way in which we are to live, and it's to honor Him. Go to Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22, I don't have much more, but I want to make sure I conclude today with the scriptures that are left. Revelation chapter 22, 12 through 15. Jesus says, look, I'm coming, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. John begins to write as he hears and led by the Holy Spirit. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. But outside, oh, can you hear this? Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral and murderers, the idol worshipers, and all who love to live a lie. And yet, we peddle out a gospel that everyone is saved. And yet, we peddle out a gospel that everyone is saved. And how sad. Because on the outside, those who are not in Christ are not with Him in the end. That's why it's vital that you're sharing truth. 
you're encouraging, you're edifying, you're building each other up. You're giving everyone an opportunity to hear the good news. They, have, they will choose however they want to do it and live with it. Keep praying, keep fasting, doors open, keep sharing, just live your life before people. And again, to some you will be a stench of death, but to others you will be a fragrance of life. This is how we are called to live. Go to John chapter 10. John 10, verse 10. John 10, verse 10. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, my purpose is to give them rich and satisfying life. See, rich and satisfying life in Christ. You can't find it out there. No matter what sexual desire you have, you're not going to find a rich and satisfying life. No matter what sin that's out there that so easily entangled you, it will never satisfy you. That's why the Bible says to throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. But dear, but some Christians look at you like a deer in the headlight. They don't understand that concept because they're only hearers of the word. They're not doers of the word. There is a way in which we are called to live in a society that is getting vile and wicked by the day and by the hour. We're called to uphold a standard. And the standard is biblical. It's not man's. It's how God designed it. It's how God planned it. It's how God purposed it so that those who are in Christ can have a rich and satisfying life. 1 John 1.9. We were in 1 John earlier, but we're going to flip back to it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. First John 1, verse 9. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. So again, we're not pointing our fingers at people. We're, 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 not, giving, we're not just condemning them to, to hell. No, we're giving them the good news that though yet that's who and what you're doing, that does not have to keep defining you. He can and will wash you clean. He can and will set you free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. Romans chapter 6. I've got this one for you and one more and then we're done. Romans chapter 6, the whole chapter, and oh how I pray, you go through all the scriptures I'm sharing with you on biblical sexual morality, but that you understand Romans 6, and it's just not for sexual sin, it's just for sin in and of itself, that's why we are to hate it, it is destructive, it's not cute. Stop laughing at it. Stop going along with it. Stop parading around in it. It is destructive. Sin. No matter what the sin is, you ought to hate it. Lying. Gossiping. Backbiting. Causing division. Strife. All of it. It's sin. 
And it's destructive. It destroys. But greater is he that is in a child of God and a believer than he that is in this world. You can live upright in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation. You ought to be shining a light. I keep telling you the world is getting darker, but you should be getting brighter. The church ought to be burning bright in this day and age. Romans 6 When I cried out to the Lord years, almost 25 years ago, it'll be this year. And I said, God, what are you doing? How then now shall I live? And I threw the Bible down. The pages flipped and it fell right on Romans 6. And as I began to read it in that room, in that condo, with my lover, the man outside the door, listening to what's going on inside the room, I was crying out to God. I read it. I read it again. I'm on my knees trying to figure out what on earth is happening to me. I didn't begin this in me. I wasn't looking for this. But God was speaking and had been speaking. And as I read it and as I got up off that floor, it was like weights were just falling off of me. And for the first time in my life, yet though I didn't know where I was going or who I was becoming, I was at peace. I had a peace I never, ever sensed before in my life. No sex, no drug, no this, no that ever gave me the peace I had that day that I stood up and that day on. And when I opened the door, my lover Rich looked at me and says, you're leaving And he kept telling me as he began to see this transformation within me. I don't know how to fight to keep you. I don't know how to fight this God in whom you love. He will eventually take you away. Romans 6 is powerful no matter what sin you're enslaved to. Because it gives you the understanding that Jesus, Jesus, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not anything else. But only Jesus has defeated sin and death. He sets the captives free. The good news of Romans 6, the power of sin is broken. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of His wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, did you hear that? That is your, that is, if you're in Christ, that is your identity. You're dead to sin. Of course not, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and we were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live, look at this, new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that, listen to this, sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this. Listen to this. We are sure of this because Christ 
was raised from the dead. And he will never die again. Death no longer has power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Not your religious works, not your church attendance, but through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely, not half-heartedly, but completely to God. For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then... Since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to do or choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Thank God Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we have given you. Now you are free from your slavery to sin, and you have become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature, I am using the illustration of slavery to help you understand all of this. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led ever deeper into sin. Now you must give yourself to be slaves to righteous living so that you will become holy. When we were slaves to sin, you were free from the obligation to do right. And what was the result You are now ashamed of the things you used to do, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves to God. Now you do these things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, for God's sakes, can we hear that? Can we share that? Do you even believe it? How then, how shall I live, Lord? I read it, I read it again, and I begin to get up. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a slave to righteousness. I had no clue what that meant, but I knew one thing. I belong to Jesus. I was a horrible sinner. The depths of sexual vile junk that I was a a slave to and I enjoyed every bit of it. I saw nothing wrong with it. It's crazy. Sometimes I tell y'all when I share who I was, it's like talking about a dead person because that's that's who he is. He's dead. He's dead. Apart from Christ, I know how I would live. But Christ chose me. 
He created me. He purposed me. He elected me as He does with you. Have you responded to Him? I had to respond. Not because I was forced to. Because when I saw freedom, when I saw the love being displayed through Christ for me, how could I continue to go my way and my filth and my desires? Yet though again, I loved them. Yet though again, I saw nothing wrong with them. Even the nights that I climbed into a darkened room through a, through a hole in a wall and I didn't know the hundreds of hundreds of people, that men that were in there and I spent hours in there doing God-forsaking things and coming right out, oh, I felt no shame. I didn't have a problem living the way I was living. But yet I was broken. Yet though I was empty. Yet though I couldn't find anything or anyone to satisfy me. What I said earlier, the basic need of humanity is just to belong. And for God's sakes, we will do anything and everything and search for it high and low and the temporal things of this earth. And we will never find it. So you're hidden sin. You're dealing with pornography. You're doing this or you're doing that. You're going, I'm running amok. Thinking that that's pleasing to God. Oh, it is not. And you will answer for it. It's running amok. Sexual immorality is running amok in the church. And it ought not to be. Because sin has been defeated by our resurrected king. Amen. And we ought to be clean. We ought to be pure, and we ought to honor God with our bodies and the way He designed them as a man and as a woman. Oh, I hope and pray that if you're having issues with sexual sin or any sin that is mastering you, that you get the counsel and the encouragement that you need to grow in Christ if you are a believer. And if you're not a believer, then I pray that you come to Christ and be, and be free. Turn to Christ. As we read earlier, He's the only one that can satisfy that deepest need to belong. We're closing in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Again, the whole point of sharing these scriptures with you on biblical sexual morality is so that you have a foundation to share in our generation and the generations to come, because it's only going to get darker on the design and the plan that God had and has in place. But then also in sharing how God designed and planned, offering them hope that God can transform you. If you're having issues with transgenderism, if you're having issues with homosexuality, if you're having issues with all these genders that are out there running them up, if you're having issues with porn, if you're having issues with masturbation, if you're having issues with whatever's going on that you're giving yourself over to, 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 to yoke yourself with, there is hope and there is freedom and it's found in Christ. He will wash you clean. My past and what I've done and who I was does not define me. <laughs> I'm a freed man in Christ. 
And it's all because of Christ. It's nothing that Rob has done. <laughs> it's all because of Christ. Because God so loved me. That he was pleased to reveal himself to me through his son Jesus. And in that revelation, I humbled myself before him. I said, God, I'm yours. I receive. I believe that you are the son of God and that you rose from the dead. And I've always told you, as the Bible tells you, that's it. You just believe. You, you, have a, you have faith in the confession, a bold confession that He is the Son of God and that He's rose from the dead. The Bible says you are saved, you are born again. And that faith and that confession begins to define you. Because when you understand what you're saying, when you understand the understanding that He rose from the dead, He's defeated whatever is capturing you and has captivated you and held you enslaved. And so you don't continue to stay where you've been. There's freedom. You don't treat his blood as it's something common and useless. There is power in the name of Jesus. And I keep encouraging us. He can't be the baby in the manger. He's not in the manger. He's, he's, he's not on the cross. He's not in the tomb. He's risen. And yet so many people have him still in the tomb. So many people still have him on the cross. But the cross doesn't save us. The resurrected Christ saves us. Yes, our message we share about the cross, but that is not just our message. And even the Bible says if that was our message, we're foolish. Because it means nothing. It's the finished work of the cross. <laughs> As he was buried in the tomb, three days later he rose from the dead. The Son of God. The Lamb of God who, who takes away the sins of the world. The only one that can redeem mankind and reconcile them back to their Creator. Oh, I hope you know Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Here's where we're ending today. And oh, how I pray you share it with others. This means that anyone... Anyone, no matter where they've been, what they've done, how dirty and miserable and rotten and hateful they were, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And oh, how I pray that you are experiencing the new life. And I'm going to close this. Of the song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer.